0: This is episode 196 of the Prepper Website Podcast, where I connect you with resources that will help you live a more self-reliant life. Today's articles are, Bug Out, 4 Reasons Why You Need a Get Out of Dodge Plan, What Happens When You Eat Nothing But MREs, and Top 6 Common Questions Concerning an EMP. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, welcome to episode 196. If you didn't get to listen to the Facebook Live on building an effective EDC, um, welcome you to go over to the Facebook page, not the group, but the uh, Prepper website Facebook page, I'll uh, I'm gonna link to it again on uh in the show notes so you can go check that out. Uh I you know, I didn't really plan on how long I was gonna go. I think it went uh, for a little over maybe forty five minutes. So hopefully there's some benefit there. Uh I didn't start right at seven. Uh I started a little early and uh then started the presentation at seven. So uh some of that time is, is uh you know that early coming in and getting settled and everything. But uh Uh, Yeah, if you didn't get a chance to go do that uh, go check it out. It was a lot of fun And uh, so I don't know we'll maybe do some of those in the future I don't think I'll probably do one every week or every month or anything like that But as they come along, uh, I'll be happy to do those. Um, It was a lot of fun for me to be able to do that so uh, uh, We'll just see how that goes and see what kind of feedback we get from that. Hey, uh, let's go ahead and start and jump right in Uh, Our first article of the podcast comes to us from thepreppingguide.com. Again, that's thepreppingguide.com, and the title of the article is Bug Out, Four Reasons Why You Need a Get Out of Dodge Plan. So let's go ahead and read this one. When it comes to disasters, if you are living in an affected area, you are going to need to get out of that area as quickly as possible before every road is blocked with traffic and panic and desperation sets in especially if you are living in an urban area. You are going to need to consider what is called a bug out plan as it is get going to get you and your loved ones out of danger. Whether you are living in an urban dwelling, inner city apartment, or a regional homestead, you will always need to have a bug out plan of a simple location to go to when disaster strikes. More than half of the world's population lives in an urban area and when disaster strikes in those areas, the, they mix with a massive population causes disease, lack of of supplies, lawlessness, and famine. That's only to mention a few of the things that could go wrong. You're probably thinking it is much better to stay at home where the prepper supply is that might suit your condition better. However, as part of a disaster preparedness plan, you need to consider the possibility of a bug out plan and when the time comes getting out of Dodge. There are a number of reasons why you would want to leave the home in an emergency Some of these that have happened quite recently are severe flooding causing hunger, spread of disease, and lack of supplies, viral infections such as the plague and other contagious diseases, riots and protests causing looting and lawless disorder, and faculty failure or power plant failure such as nuclear power plant leaks or refinery causing toxic smog. So what is a bug out plant? A bug out plan is a drill which originates from the military rapid exercise of bugging out of an area that was considered too dangerous for forces to stay in any longer, either because of indirect fire or because a large enemy force was encroaching on their position. A bug out plan is the preparedness sense, in the preparedness sense, is quite similar to the military ethos. In a bug out scenario, you generally need to quickly gather as many supplies as you can safely carry in your vehicle if you aren't on foot. Grab your bug out bag, 72 hours of supplies that will keep you fed, watered, healthy, and safe. Rendezvous with any loved ones or other people in your neighborhood. Take one of the pre-planned routes you have identified, which will be the quickest, safest, and least busy way to leave. And arrive safely in your bug out location, a pre-chosen spot identified by you and your party. This is how I have organized my bug out plans and having been in the military before, have applied the same simple strategic processes and reliance upon teamwork to ensure my family and friends have a simple backup plan should something happen. And this is all a bug out plan is. It's not a crazy, deluded world of fighting off hordes of people or anything like that. It's a quick exercise in maintaining safety and precaution to relocate yourself and others from a dangerous area. This is essentially what emergency services are doing as a method of evacuation. If you are relying on what, then there's a chance that may not happen as an emergency service and disaster response agency are already under the pump dealing with the basics of supply management and caring for highly potential victims of disaster, such as people in hospitals, retirement centers, and elderly living on their own. That's a long sentence right there. I'm just going to stop and just say, that's a long sentence. I sometimes write long sentences, but that's a long sentence there. All right, so why, why you need a bug out plan? People bug out or evacuate from an area for a number of reasons. Let's say you have received a warning that mass demonstrations with mass protests and police clashes were going to happen in your neighborhood next week. Sure, you can stay in your home, but whenever you need to leave, or if your family needs to leave the home, there's a chance you could be arrested on the street as a potential protester, targeted as an individual by violent groups, or be struck with some indirect police suppressant for riots. Either that or your area could have a predicted flood, tsunami, oncoming blizzard, or anything else. In these events, there are a number of things we need in life that we can't get while being pent up in our urban fortress homes. They they are water availability, transportation and availability of leaving after the, the disaster has occurred, safety due to crime, and medical availability. As you can see, it's not all about just grabbing your bag and leaving. So let's take a look at those a little closer. Number one, or bug out reason number one, water. Many plumbing functions run on electricity and as we know, the first thing to go out in most disasters is the electricity. The issue, is in here, the, the issue is here not only for clean drinking water but also sanitation. There is no way to flush toilets to clean away waste and leave behind or to get new water for washing. Then comes the issue of having enough water for yourself. If you don't have a stockpile of water, you are only going to survive three days and that is what the human needs to survive. In relation to consumption of water, the average person uses about a gallon, almost four liters of water per day. This is for drinking and sanitary uses such as washing. Hey guys, if you haven't checked out that survival for the common man, your water storage solution, you definitely want to go check that out uh, over at EdThatMatters.com, uh, and I, I believe it's still showing up on the front page of uh, prepper website. But uh, you know, I've been doing that that series, survival for the common man, and uh, just released my new one, uh, food storage solution but uh, hearing about the four liters thing just brought back that water your water solution article that i did storing all of the water is an issue on its own as some preparedness individuals are stockpiling for three months worth of supplies for bugging out the recommended time frame is a 72 hour or three day supply which you can use in your urban area and as you make your way to your bug out evacuation area when you are drawing up the bug out plan, locating a bug out safe haven that is near a body of water can provide you and your family with a constant supply of fresh water, which of course would be advisable to filter before consuming. And I think those are great plans right here as uh, you're talking about the water. Water is one of the most important things. And then just getting back to the whole bug out scenario, uh, a lot of people say, that, hey, my plan is to bug in. But for instance, going back to the whole uh, Hurricane Harvey thing. Uh, I mean, d- granted, you know, Houston flooded uh, tremendously like no one ever expected. No one had ever seen before. And not just Houston, but other other places on the Gulf Coast flooded very, very badly. And Houston just got a lot of the attention. But there were some places that were still, I mean, places that are still inundated with water. Uh, and not so much where it's flooded, but they're still dealing with the effects of it, the devastation. And so, uh, yeah, the sanitation And the hygiene, all that, all that stuff is very, very important. But I love this idea of when you bug out, if you are able to, if you don't have a place that you are going to, right? Uh, If you are, uh, if you're looking, actively looking for a a safe haven. Let's just say, um, you know, you are. It it is like a real serious thing, and uh, you have your bug out plan. If it's going to take you a little bit longer than you think, or you're not sure. Um, you know, you might be on foot or whatever it might be. It might be a good idea to get into Google Maps and uh, you know get uh, some views of looking for water or planning. You know, uh, somehow, hey, here's a place where I possibly can find water, or you know, this might be uh, a place where I can do it. And uh, that that'll be very very important because water is heavy, and when you're talking about carrying it, especially if you're on foot, you know, you want to be aware of it. So if you are if you feel like you're walking to your bug out location, it might be a good idea to kind of like look for some water sources uh, you know that you'll have along the way. Uh, and even if that means like, hey, I'm gonna stop here and there's a house here or you know there is uh, you have one of those keys that can open up, like for instance, uh, you, you know on the in, at the elementary school that I worked at, um, the water we had water spigots all the way around the the school, but you had to have that special key for it. And so I know that that has come up a lot of times in different uh, podcasts that I've heard, and different articles. Getting one of those keys so that you can open up, uh, you know, a water sp- a spigot like that, and uh, get some water from, uh, you know, a place like a, a building or a-, a school or something along those lines. So I don't know how much those run, uh, but I don't believe they're very expensive, and it might be, you know. Uh, It's small enough to throw inside of a a bag to to have in case you need it for an emergency. All right, bug out reason number two, transportation. Bugging out of a location during a disaster is next to impossible. Some time ago, I worked with a software program to generate the time it would take to bug out of some of the world's most popular cities. in simulated peak hour traffic for in case an emergency when you would have to leave in a rush. However, this was only during peak hour traffic in an emergency. Say, for instance, a nuclear threat was made against a specific city. There is a real imminent danger as every person is going to be on a main and back road. Mass migrations are an absolute hazard. They never go well. The sooner you make the decision to bug out of an area, the better. This is why a prepared survival kit is so highly recommended. It lets you get out of the area quicker while everyone else is still scurrying or figuring out what to do and what they should be taking with them. By the time they are packed, you're already rendezvous with your bug out group or family and have secured a nice safe spot to ride out whatever is happening. In the video below we can see the effects of a mass evacuation or see the effects a mass evacuation had on roads leading out of Miami prior to Hurricane Irma landing. And so uh, there's a video here that you can click on. And uh, I have talked about that before. You know, back when Hurricane uh, Rita, after Hurricane Katrina hit uh, New Orleans, Hurricane Rita was supposed to come right up Galveston and right into Houston, and it didn't. It turned at the last minute. But people uh, evacuated uh, then, and uh, people died on the roadway, man. People, uh, you know, they, they, uh, they ran out of gas. And uh, it just—they ran out of gas, and they were older or disabled, and uh, in the heat they died. And it's just 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 crazy. It should never have happened. Uh, and when you're talking about bugging out, uh, you know, his, the city of Houston is is so big, and you're talking about bugging out and getting out. There's times where uh, you know the roads are like you know four lanes, you know, the freeways are four lanes, and any little you know dent or hit or whatever accident. Is gonna back up everything crazy like, and so it's already crazy. Uh, Houston traffic is already crazy, and I just thank God every day that I, when I go to work, uh, I just I work about ten minutes, ten fifteen minutes at the most from work, and so I'm so glad I don't have to get on the freeways because um, I mean that would be crazy. But uh, all these things you have to consider, and you have to really be, uh, you know, if you have multiple ways to get getting out and multiple routes, uh, something to to consider. If you if you uh, like, for one thing, is like there is a route that I think would be very viable for us to take uh, getting up to our place out in the country if we needed to. Um, but you're talking about back roads, and my thing would be I would like to talk with someone who knew what it was like during the last big evacuation. So uh, when Hurricane Ike hit or when uh, Rita hit and what the, the back roads were like over there. Uh, I really would like to, to uh, try to find someone to see what uh, what those were like so that might be an idea for you if you have some back roads in mind of getting out of dodge where you can go and you can maybe there's a store you know at a corner it's like hey were you around a mom and pop store hopefully right uh hey were you around during you know this or that or whatever what was it like you know when when people were evacuating was it bumper to bumper traffic or uh was uh you know was everything uh moving pretty pretty smoothly so uh, you know that might be something uh, good that you might want to do uh, to see if you can get that information. Okay, so uh, continuing on, there are two important things to remember when it comes to transport and the bug-out plan. Uh, there's actually three here. Ensure you are always, I'm sorry, ensure you always have a small reserve of fuel, or at least half a tank, as a fuel station might be overcrowded. Plan at least three routes to your bug out area using quick back roads to avoid congested traffic areas. And know these routes and preload the maps on your phones in case you have limited cellular service. Alright, so bug out reason number three safety. Safety runs its course on a number of subjects in disaster preparedness. When it comes to bugging out, you should be aware that any disaster can pose a risk to your safety, not only from the impact of a natural disaster, but also the safety effects of wounds, infections, diseases, famine, and any p- other possible crime that may result out of desperation. The issue when it comes to preparedness is whether or not to be public and proud or to keep it quiet. Most err on the side of caution as in, as in a disaster or when a worst case scenario occurs, people who are prepared do what do not want to have a line of people at their door demanding that they share their stockpile of food. This is a very contentious, contentious issue because on one hand you could spare some saved up food, water or medical supplies simply because you want to help, but on the other hand disasters are very widespread and chances are there are going to be neighbors in your area who are very happy to demand you give away a portion of your supplies. Removing yourself from the situation might seem like an isolating move, but if you are with a group of others who you have made plans with, then you can share between yourself safety, safely at your bug out area, safely without the need to be concerned, without people knocking on your door. If you have a generator, this just doubles as a beacon of those wanting to break into your house and steal your power source. Ideally, if you are going to use this in the home during a disaster where the power has been lost, you are going to need to cover the noise and not have any evident lighting during the day to avoid any unwanted attention. Safety is also an issue in events that are triggered by factional groups of society. As you can see in the following video, clashes between police and citizens can escalate into state-sized issues, turning what would just be a dangerous streets into a whole neighborhood protest. So uh, this looks like it's Hamburg, Germany. Uh, looking at this, uh, trying to hover over it uh, here, black a uh, block, black block versus water cannons, uh, 2017 Hamburg, Germany. So it's a video there. You can go check that out. Alright, bug out reason number four, medical. As mentioned above, staying in a disaster area can have implications for your safety when it comes to your health. Furthermore, there is a lack of medical support to disaster areas as emergency services and first responders are already spread thin dealing with priority issues. In your bug out plans, you should identify locations that has an accessible pharmacy if you haven't already stocked up on the necessary prescriptions you already take. Your bug-out plan should also include a medical kit and relevant medical treatments for any injuries or illnesses that you are able to treat yourself. Final thoughts on the bug-out plan. The four most important reasons to bug-out of a certain situation are water, transportation, safety, and medical. These, on their own, warrant enough evidence for the need to bug out, need of a bug-out plan or simple evacuation procedures. Remember, when you are making your own plans, not to get caught up in the over-complication of the process. A plan should be simple, so that should the poop hit the fan, it is precise and easy for you and your family or friends to follow. All you need in a bug out plan is the following. Quickly gather as many supplies as you can safely carry in your vehicle if you aren't on foot. Grabbing your bug out bag, 72-hour supplies that will keep you fed, watered, healthy, and safe. Rendezvousing with any loved ones or other people in your neighborhood. Taking one of the pre-planned routes you have identified will be the quickest, safest, and least busy way to leave and arriving safely in your bug-out location, pre-chosen spot identified by you and your party. All right, good information over here at the prepping guide. Some things to really think about. uh, Four reasons there, and you know all these kind of things play into part. um, Definitely played into part for Hurricane Harvey here. Um, You know uh, there were all uh, relevant issues here. Uh, and, uh, as things continue to, um, to, to, you know, as a, in a crisis, as things continue to go south, you can see the, the bigger, bigger need to, to bug out possibly. And so that's why you always want to make that call way ahead of time. So you're not caught in the traffic. And I've talked about that before. That's one reason why we always stay aware. That's one reason why we're always, you know, um, uh, you know keeping up to date with what's going on in the news and how things are affecting us and uh you know not just you know living uh a life you know just buried in 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 you know dancing with the stars and whatever it is you know uh, american idol that we are you know interested in what's going on in the world so when we need to make the tough decisions that we have good information to do that all right, so that's, again, over at thepreppingguide.com. Go check that out. There's uh, some links and videos that you might want to check out. All right, our next article comes to us from askaprepper.com, and it's entitled, What Happens When You Eat Nothing But MREs? And I think this is a, an important one because uh, in the preparedness community, we talk a lot about MREs, and uh, you know people you know, will stalk them. The thing is, is that you know what's what happens when you're eating nothing but MREs? What does that do to your system, right? So I think this uh, article helps us to understand that a little bit. So let's go ahead and read this. All MREs, Meals Rejected by Ethiopians, Meals Rejected by the Enemy, Meals Rejected by Everyone. It actually stands for Meals Ready to Eat, which has been described as three lies for the price of one. It's not a meal, it's not ready, and you can't eat it. Of course, soldiers love to complain about their rations, and the truth is that MREs aren't too bad. Some of the menu items are real horrors, but m- most are reasonably edible and nothing as bad as the old sea ration ham and lima beans. There's plenty of energy in MREs, too. Overall, they're a pretty good combat ration. The same things that make them a good combat ration also make them popular with preppers. MREs are sturdy, energy dense, can be eaten without preservation. And have a long, I'm sorry, eaten without preparation and have a long shelf life. If you're looking for an emergency food reserve, they're an obvious choice. However, don't rush out to buy a year's supply of them just yet. MREs were never designed to be your only food source for long periods of time. The U.S. Army tries to give troops in the field properly cooked food whenever possible. Even infantry in forward positions will often get containers of hot food delivered. If you're deployed to Afghanistan and spending a year in a forward operating base, you won't be living on MREs unless something's gone really wrong. The FOB will have a dining facility with a proper kitchen and a couple of slop jockeys to produce proper meals for everyone. MREs are a tactical ration and they're meant to be used when there's no other food available. So how long can you eat them for? According to the Army, MREs are meant to be used for up to twenty one days and even then they'll usually be supplemented with free rash, or sorry, with fresh rations. If the log if the logistics system is running smoothly, it will be very unusual for troops to eat nothing but MREs for three weeks. They're a highly they're a high energy food source and prioritize caloric content and essential short term nutrition over a real balanced diet. They're also designed for long shelf life and easy preparation, and that has some consequences. The human digestive system is a pretty complicated thing, and as anyone who's eaten street food in in Afghanistan knows, it isn't hard to upset its delicate balance. As well as your own organs, enzymes, and stomach acids, healthy digestion, digestion relies heavily on your gut flora. There is what biolo- This is what biologists call the collection of bacteria that live in your innards and pay for their lodging by helping you process your food. If these bacteria aren't feeling too well, you won't be either. Now imagine you start eating nothing but MREs. Suddenly your entire diet is nothing but highly processed food that was designed to have a long shelf life in a variety of harsh conditions. People sometimes compare MREs to junk food. But that doesn't even begin to describe how processed they are. MREs can sit on shelves in a warehouse for years, or spend months in a humid baking container under the desert sun, and they'll still be edible when they finally get handled over or handed over to some lucky soldier. This isn't how food usually works. To achieve this shelf life, MREs are cooked a lot more thoroughly than most food. They also have preservatives added to prevent bacteria growing inside the pouches which would spoil the food and probably poison the soldier. What effect do you think all those preservatives are going to have on your gut flora? Sure most of us eat foods that contain preservatives every day but what if that's all you eat? Your poor gut bacteria doesn't stand a chance and after a week or two they'll start dying off. When the gut flora starts to die the usual result is diarrhea or constipation. The army knew this from the start but decided it wasn't a big deal. MREs might be high in preservatives but they're very low in dietary fiber and a low fiber diet causes constipation. In fact the fiber content is so low that the crackers and bread are pretty much the only significant sources of it. That's why soldiers who start eating MREs usually find they're bunged up for a few days and then things seem to settle down. People generally think their bodies are adjusting to the diet but that isn't exactly true. What What's really happening is Is that two effects of MREs, diarrhea and constipation, are fighting a war in your digestive system, but neither of them is quite strong enough to win it. Try living on MREs for a week, then stop eating the crackers and see what happens. Man, just the thought of that, you know, just, ah. Alright, nutritious or nasty? The longer you live on MREs, the worse state your gut floor will be in. That's why the Army aims for a 21-day limit. Even after that length of time, you're likely to suffer some digestive problems when you move back on to more normal food. If you ate nothing but MREs for three months, you'd probably be pretty ill for a few days when you started eating properly again. It's hard to completely kill off your gut floor, but after three months of getting all your food from brown plastic bags, it would be in a very bad way. As well as their effects on your digestive system, there are some other reasons why eating MREs for long periods isn't a great idea. Their low fiber content can cause a wide range of health problems. Most of these are digestive issues, but low fiber has also been linked with high blood pressure and an increased risk of some cancers, including colon cancer. The sodium content, on the other hand, is pretty high. That's useful if you're working hard in the desert and losing a lot of sweat. But under less strenuous conditions, it isn't ideal. If the only food you have is the MREs, you can survive on them for a long time, years probably. But it definitely wouldn't be good for you. You'd start suffering from the lack of a whole range of nutrients and some of the consequences can be serious. It's best to have a stash of MREs to keep you going through the worst initial stages of a crisis. But get back to eating properly as quickly as you can. MREs are pretty good at what they were designed to do, but if you're eating them for more than a couple of weeks, you're probably going to regret it. All right, so uh, Ask a Prepper has a you know, pretty decent community over there, so there's 22 comments in, uh, in the comment section, so you can go check those out. I'm sure people are giving advice. Uh, I'm curious you know, as to um, what the effects would be if you're eating MREs and eating something like a probiotic. You have a probiotic that you're taking in or some other vitamins. Uh, you know what, what that would look like, but yeah, uh, I, I just remember dad having, uh, buying some MREs back when we had the first place out in the country. When I was a kid and, uh, there was one weekend where we went and we, you know, we spent up there and we kind of ate those cause we needed to kind of cycle through them. And, uh, you know, it was kind of decent. I mean, it, it was the full one, the ones that are in the brown box. Uh, and they had all the cans, uh, kind of the picture that they have here. Uh, you had the crackers you had the peanut butter you know you had all the uh, it was kind of cool to open up you had the the container or the all the the condiments and you had tang that you could mix with water uh and and all that stuff so of course uh you know you don't want to completely eat those i think it's good uh the recommendation is uh having some of them uh for uh and there were more of the the sea rations i guess that dad had not necessarily the uh uh the, the nicer MREs that you see nowadays. But anyway, um, you know, it's good to have a stash of them for when, you know, if, if you're in a situation to go ahead and uh, to break into them if you need them, but, uh, and, and they're very heavy, so you're not going to take them on a bug out or anything like that. On a bug out, you want, uh, you know, things that you can eat while you're, while you're run, you know, walking, you know, while you're moving. Uh so, you know, they're very heavy so you're not going to have that but you know, using for a bug out or anything like that but uh you know, you can't keep them in your vehicle possibly for a while. Um I I would be interested in um and I know I've read this before. I need to go find it but in just how long they can stay in a vehicle. I mean, because this article is making it seem like they can stay in, you know, a hot warehouse for years and then they give them to uh to soldiers. So I'm just curious how long that that time is. Um, where you know they, they, that uh, where it finally goes bad but anyway cuz I know down here in Texas or in Houston uh, in summertime cars can get very very hot very very quickly and so that's one reason why we don't uh, just leave things in the in the, the vehicles as far as food and water and stuff like that all right so good article go check that one out our next article comes to us from survivalblog.com um, uh, very uh, interesting article here. I think a lot of people are going to like this one because when it comes to EMP, there's a lot of questions that people have, uh, especially about cars and electronics, and and this might help to answer some of those uh, because he's quoting um, he's quoting specifically the uh, the EMP Commission uh, report, uh, and so we'll um, we'll go ahead and. Jump into this one over, again, like I said, it's over at Survival Blog. The title of this article is Top 6 Common Questions Concerning an EMP. Maybe you, like many, have questions about an EMP as a friendly and hopefully a pleasing feature. This article is being edited as it is being typed so as to be read as though it were a friendly two-person social conversation. The, site, the sit-rep situation that initiated research. The SITREP situation would necessarily be two good friends talking about a recent article concerned about a potential EMP situation caused by a strong, ego-driven leader of a small Asian nation with an attitude and an ego to match. We will call our two friends Bob and Ray. Actually, Bob, old Bobbert, that's me, did call his friend Ray about the Tex- Texas flooding disaster. Ray lives in Texas about 75 miles from Houston and they are safely outside the coastal flood area. We did talk about the possibility of a sneak EMP attack for about 45 exciting minutes. We have similar backgrounds with a strong leaning towards preparedness and security measures concerning our families and homes. Friends for 40 plus years, we had no idea that we knew so little about a real situation that could be so serious, so deadly, and maybe very soon. It's embarrassing it took so long. It was embarrassing to say the least. He's 80 and I'm 76 we should have known better long ago. Thus, we now have this article for our families and for you that call prompted seriously, serious research so Bobbert could have current and up-to-date accurate information for his wife and a first edition copy of this article for Ray and his wife in Texas. And yes, we do know that the very old dumb jokes about the ancient radio comedy show named Bob and Ray, we are still in full agreement they have never been funny our questions. We defined six primary questions about EMP we wanted to answer for our families. They are as follows. What is an EMP? What causes an EMP? Why should I worry about an EMP? Will an EMP harm people? What will an EMP do to my cars? And how do I protect myself from an EMP? First, what is an EMP? An EMP is an explosive incident creating a destructive energy wave, a type of radio wave that seeks out unshielded computer chips for damage. An EMP is a shorthand, shorthand nickname for electromagnetic pulse that will try to attack computer chips most everywhere. That is, unless they are protected by Faraday shielding, we'll go get to that protection item later. What causes an EMP? As a solid generality, an EMP event is generated by one of two sources, the sun or an air burst nuclear blast. An EMP generated by a solar incident will not, will not occur instantly. In most cases, there may be a small warning period. It will be devastating and there may be no way to stop it. We have barely missed a few in recent years. So a little side note here. That's one reason why I watch Suspicious Observer. Uh, and uh, I have the disaster prediction app, app that uh, that they promote, or that they actually run. And uh, if you are part of the Facebook group, you you know that feed, uh, the new videos that uh, are produced every single day, get dropped into the Facebook group automatically. And so, uh, you know, if you if you didn't want to go search it out on YouTube every single day, you could go there uh, if you were part of the group. And uh, there was something that I did want to bring up a while back. Uh, or yesterday actually and i didn't and then i forgot to do it again this uh this evening uh jumping into the podcast but after reading that it kind of triggered it for me um we are the earth is in uh, uh is going into a cycle where the rotation of the earth is a little bit slower now you don't normally you're not gonna feel anything it's not gonna you know there's not gonna be any real difference the issue is that when this happens though there are there's greater potential for higher uh, uh seismic earthquakes so uh, earthquakes that are 7.0 and higher and so uh, just just to let you know i, I know that the san, around the san andreas fault they've had like a hundred plus swarms of earthquakes uh, not very big ones but uh, i know that there's been others go off uh, just recently i think yesterday or the day before in new catalonia uh, they had a 7.0 and so just you're going to be on the lookout for that. So uh, be paying attention because uh, you have the slow rotation of the earth as well as all the solar weather and stuff like that play a big part into it. And so, uh, again, like I said, that paragraph kind of triggered that for me. Uh, you can go back to uh, the Facebook group and go listen to some of those suspicious observer videos and uh, you'll uh, kind of get some more information there. Alright, continuing continuing on on this, on what causes an EMP. Moving on to the more likely source, we will look at the possibility, perhaps the probability, of a sneak attack overhead at many thousands of feet above us. However, an airburst nuclear device may possibly allow, at best, a very small warning period. We still have NORAD looking after our safety. It may be a deliberate sneak attack from a simple tramp freighter ship with a well-hidden nuclear-armed rocket launch ability. And that's something that a lot of people have said. You know, one of these uh, one of these shipping containers coming into uh, one of the ports and uh, they, they get ready to fire off and that's there's not a, a, a lot of time. I mean, by the time you know it, a missile is over the middle of the United States and setting it off and setting off an EMP. So, uh, you know, if you had multiples of those going on, uh, you know, that's that's uh, something, that a scenario that people have brought up before in the past. Why should I worry about an EMP? There is a high likelihood that a foolish enemy force may utilize a triple-tramp freighter launch offensive so as to maximize the possible destructive effects and to provide a success, even though one or more rockets may fail to complete their mission. We still have NORAD looking after our safety. Again, I don't think NORAD could stop something like that uh, that fast, but... I don't know, I might be surprised. Uh, An EMP is a weapon designed to cause an instant failure of the computer chips now utilized in nearly every appliance, every automobile, every banking transaction, every usage of credit or debit cards, operations of traffic signals, operation of hospital equipment, and sundry medical devices. Please note, The repeated word may. It may all be a total bust. Our cell phones may fail. The internet may fail. Home oxygen services may fail. Most likely the primary target agenda will be to destroy the power grid system, which in turn may shut down many aspects of our daily lives. Elevators may fail and plummet to a ground floor uh, fatal crash. May, may, may. We are fully dependent on... You know, uh, I, I just remembered something about the, uh, the elevators. Uh, elevators probably would not just plummet to the ground right off the bat because of the counterweight. Somebody was telling me about this uh, a while back. And I'm, I'm assuming different elevators are set up different. But uh, you know, the one that we were writing in specifically where we were talking about it, that there was a counterweight. So probably what would happen is uh, the elevator would go flying through the roof first. Uh, and if it didn't go flying through the roof, it would go, it would speedily run up and then uh, crash downward if the uh, if the brakes weren't somehow enabled. All right, continuing on, uh, we are fully dependent on the safe and successful silent computer chip operation in nearly every aspect of our life. If the power grid system goes down and it may actually fail, our entire way of life may also go down. So, will the EMP harm people? It's an excellent question to ask about the harm an EMP could cause people, and it has a simple short answer. No, not many people will be harmed, and the harm is not likely to be permanent. That answer is always misleading, even though it is true and accurate. Let's look at some population ratios. If only a single person in every 10,000 in a national population of 300 million dies as a result of the EMP, there would be 30,000 fatalities. One in every 5,000 would be 60,000 fatalities, and that's just in the first hour or so. There is a possibility that some digital hearing enhancement devices may be affected, but no one is sure at this time. There are some at higher risk of being harmed than others. There are many who use prosthetic limbs, which have chip control units. These may fail. Cars traveling at high speeds may experience engine failure resulting in multi-car accidents and possibly serious injuries and even possible deaths. Airliner engines failures coupled with communication and radar failures may also cause an exhausting series of fatal mid-air crash events nationwide. Visualize Boston's very busy Logan Airport without radio communications with the many pilots flying into and from the airport. Those flights depend on constant accurate radar operations To prevent multi-plane collisions, planes coming into Logan from many cities west of the east coast fly past the airport and go onto the open sea and then turn back and approach the end of the runway only a few feet above the Atlantic. The runway was built on top of a long wide jetty created in the bay. Some passengers have never made a second flight into Logan ever. In the mid 70's this rider came into Logan on 32 Monday morning red eye flights within just 18 months. I was commuting from our home in Ohio. After a while, I slept through the landings. I trusted those pilots as I had to. For them and for myself, radar was a life preserving device that those red eye flight pilots needed. There was no chips in those days. What will an EMP do to my car? Or do do to my cars? We really do not know exactly how an EMP will affect cars. No one can be sure, but safe. But be safe and not sorry is the necessity driven game plan. This question is very important. We are a mobile population and we need our wheels. I fully expected to go to the internet search engine and find that there is no good news about cars and EMPs. I assumed that I had best go buy an old guy's three wheel bike. It's not so anyway, Not know how and not even close to the real findings on cars and EMPs. The very best way for me to share with you the terrific news I found is to give you the pertinent findings of the testing cars and the EMP. Yes, it's a bit long, but still wonderful. Bobbert says, wow, all good news. The following quote is the report on the EMP Commission testing of vehicles from pages 115 to 116 of the EMP Commission Critical National Infrastructures Report. Automobiles. The potential EMP vulnerability of automobiles derives from the use of built-in electronics that support multiple and this is a quote, sorry, uh, a long quote. Multiple automotive functions. Electronic components were first introduced into automobiles in the late 1960s. As time passed and electronics electronic technologies evolved, electronic applications in automobiles proliferated. Modern automobiles may have as many as 100 microprocessors that control virtually all functions. While electronic applications have proliferated within automobiles, so too have application standards and electromagnetic interference and electromagnetic compatibility, EMI and EMC, practices. Thus, while it may be expected that increased EMP vulnerability would accompany the proliferated electronic applications, this trend, at least in part, is mitigated by the increased application of EMI and EMC practices. Again, um, the EMI is electromagnetic. And this is just me talking again. Electromagnetic interference and electromagnetic compatibility. So as more and more uh, they've had to deal with car manufacturers, I'm assuming that they've put uh, they've put things in place to kind of help these, these, you know, just not only not necessarily dealing with EMP aspects, but uh, in in the vehicle itself, you know, uh, shielding problems from within the the vehicle itself. All right, continuing on. Still, this is the quote. Uh, We tested a sample of 37 cars in an EMP simulation laboratory with automobile vintages ranging from 1986 through 2002. Automobiles of these vintages include extensive electronics and represent a significant fraction of automobiles on the road today. The testing was conducted by exposing running and non-running automobiles to Uh, sequentially, increasingly EMP field intensities. If anomalous response, uh, either temporary or permanent, was observed, the testing of that particular automobile was stopped. If no anomalous uh, response was observed, the testing was continued up to the field intensity limits of the simulation capability, approximately 50 kilovolts per meter. Automobiles were subjected to EMP environments under both engine-turned-off and engine-turned-on conditions. No effects were subsequently observed in those automobiles that were not turned on during EMP exposure. The most serious effect observed on running automobiles was that the motors in these cars stopped at field strength of approximately 30 kilovolt meters or above. In an actual EMP exposure, these vehicles would glide to a stop and require the driver to restart them. Electronics in the dashboard of one automobile were damaged and required repair. Other effects were relatively minor. 25 automobiles exhibited malfunctions that could be considered only a nuisance, that is, like blinking dash lights, and did not require driver intervention to correct. Eight of the 37 cars tested did not exhibit any anomalous responses. Based on these test results, we expect few automobile effects at EMP field levels below 25 kilovolt meters. Approximately 10% or more of the automobiles exposed to higher field levels may experience serious EMP effects, including engine stalls that require driver intervention to correct. We further expect that at least two out of three automobiles on the road will manifest some nuisance response at these higher field levels. The serious malfunctions could trigger car crashes on U.S. highways. The nuisance malfunctions could exasperate this condition. The ultimate result of automobile EMP exposure could be triggered crashes that damage many more vehicles than are damaged by the EMP, the consequent loss of life and multiple injuries. End quote. All right, so that's good news for a lot of people who are always wondering about their, you know, about, um, uh, about. Their uh, specific cars and, and what would happen. Uh, the only question that I have here, and maybe we need to go back to uh, uh, the EMP commission uh, report, is uh, you know at what um, at, at what capacity is an EMP? So they're saying like uh, the maximum here was 50 kilovolts per meter. So what is a normal expectation for an EMP? Um, because if it's a lot higher than that, you know, um, they said that there could be possible issues, right. Based on, based on their findings. Uh, but even at that, it looked like there was going to be a, there'll be a lot of vehicles that will still be operational, uh, in, and, uh, you just, you know, with minor issues of having to just stop and start them over again, maybe let them sit for a second. I don't know, uh, how all that works. Um, they said more, more of the issues would be where, um, I guess the, um, the, the, the side effects of, you know, like the dashes and stuff like that would exasperate issues and cause people to focus on those and not pay attention to the road and, and have wrecks and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, that might help a little bit uh, out there. People who are, you know, so freaked out about EMPs, um, again, it's still, you don't always 100% know, but at least these tests are uh, a little bit more helpful. So how do I protect myself from EMP? Once again, I went to the internet for current professional answers to per- personal safety issues relating to an EMP. It was good news as I see it. I have copied below the simplified official expert testimony conclusion as to people safety from an EMP. We apparently have good news with no direct immediate danger for people. The real danger appears to come after the EMP event from secondary consequences. Quote Electromagnetic pulse threat to critical infrastructure. Dr. P- Peter Vincent Pryde Testimony before the Subcommittee on Cybersecurity, Infrastructure Protection, and Security Technologies House Committee on Homeland Security, May 8, 2014. Thank you for this opportunity to testify at your hearing on the threat posed by electromagnetic pulse to critical infrastructure. Natural EMP from a, natural EMP from a geomagnetic superstorm like the 1859 Carrington Event or 1921 a railroad storm and nuclear EMP attack from terrorists or rogue states, as practiced by North Korea during the nuclear crisis of 2013, are both existential threats that could kill nine of ten Americans through starvation, disease, and societal collapse. All right, so you heard that one. That's the that's the 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 number that you hear all the time. So ninety percent of the population will you know could. Uh, would be dead after a certain amount of time uh, from uh, you know from not having you know, the power grid and not having supplies and and distribution and all that kind of stuff. So uh, one last st- sentence here to finish off the article. We have learned a lot from this simple research endeavor. Thanks for your attention. Your comments are appreciated. So again, this is over at SurvivalBlog.com. EMPs are always a, a very popular topic, and there's 61 responses. I mean, Survival Blog has a great community over there. And so, uh, you know, the comments haven't always been opened over there at Survival Blog. So this is kind of recent. But, uh, yeah, 61 responses over there. You can go get some more information and, uh, and uh, check out what people are saying there. But uh, I think that's good news for vehicles. So, like, it, like, for instance, if you were planning on bugging out, but you're always wondering, okay, so EMP hits and then I don't have my vehicle, so what am I going to do? Um, more than likely, you would have your vehicle, uh, but then it's all the other junk that would happen. You know? So you would have to get to your bug out location very quickly. And uh, you'll make sure that you're there before all hell starts breaking loose. So a good article there oh, at survivalblog.com. You might want to go that, go and check that one out and read it a little bit more uh, closely, maybe a little bit more slowly. There's not a, there's not any links in it, but you definitely need to go and uh, check out the comment section over there uh, because there's a, you know, a, a lot of great comments over there. All right, so that's it for episode 196 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Uh, man, great, great episode with a lot of great articles. Make sure you go check those articles out. I link to them in the show notes. Hey, uh, if you get a chance, come over to episode 196 uh, over at theprepperwebsitepodcast.com and leave me a comment if uh, you have a comment or have something to, uh, uh, a question or something that you want to uh, reference. Uh, I always love hearing from uh, listeners out there. It always makes my day. And then, if uh, if you want to try to hit me up on social media, I am on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can hit all of those on uh, the theprepperwebsitepodcast.com, uh, so you can link to those. But then you can always um, uh, come to the Facebook group and interact with me there. Uh, love to hang out there, and that's the place where uh, you know I'm always checking out what's going on, and uh, you know trying to provide information as well as there's a lot of other great people providing information over there as well. So come uh, join uh, that group and be a part of that group. With that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.